The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're speaking with Travis Christofferson, he re- who received his undergraduate degree in molecular biology from the Montana State University Honors Program and a master's degree in material engineering and science from the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. Today, he's a full-time science writer and founder of a cancer charity called Single Cause, Single Cure. Today, we're discussing his book, Tripping Over the Truth, How the Metabolic Theory of Cancer is overturning one of medicine's most entrenched paradigms. So, Travis, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, what inspired you to write this book about cancer? You know, I was inspired by, it was such a just compelling scientific story. And, you know, these stories exist, but it's really hard to to get the general public to understand them. So, um, I'd been following cancer research for some time and knew that there was this sort of smoldering debate between the current theory and these sort of alternative theories. And it was a, you know, a beautifully rich narrative that goes all the way back to the beginning of the century. And, and so it had this kind of unique historical thread, and I thought it'd make for a, a very compelling book. Well, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I think we're we're all terrified of, of cancer. Um, but you know, some of the history they, that you brought up in your book, of course, I had no idea. Uh, can you just tell us um, about how we discovered cancer and, and how this started? Yeah, so, the, well, the original discovery of what cancer was, I mean, cancer goes way back to the uh, Egyptians, even further than that. It's in the fossil record. But um, our, our sort of true understanding what it was began well over 100 year, years ago with a German scientist named Rudolf Virchow, and he just noticed that the, the dominant pathology of cancer, which is just uncontrolled cellular division, and he was the first to, to, to notice that, to empirically measure it. And that's what cancer is. It, it's uncontrolled pathological cell division. And from there, of course, the race was on to discover why this was happening, and, and that's sort of the thread that we followed to the book is, is following the historical narrative about how scientists grappled with understanding why this was occurring. And so um, do, we, uh, do we know exactly what cancer is? Well, we do, we do and we don't. We know how it acts. We know what it does. It, it, it begins with cells that lose the checkpoints of cell division and begin dividing uncontrollably. It degrades membranes. It travels through the circulatory system. That's called uh, metastasis, and that's what kills 95% of the people um, with cancer. So we know what it is, how it acts. How, why it's doing this is still, again, is subject to debate. We thought we knew what it, exactly what was going on in the 70s and 80s. It was caused by a sequential series of mutations to key genes, but now that has been really scrutinized lately because of some, uh, you know, the important work of the, the Cancer Genome Atlas Project. So once again, we're back to, no, I wouldn't say square one. We know a tremendous amount of the cancer cell, but the details of exactly why this process is happening are still being debated. Well, you know, it, it's interesting when you bring up the, the genetic part, because I think, you know, a lot of us have grown up or spend, you know, decades uh, believing that, you know, if cancer is in our family, then we're going to get it or we have a higher chance. And right. so what what is this now telling us about our genetics? Is that not the case? Well, that, yeah, surprisingly, the genes you inherit from your mom and dad 
only account for about five to seven percent of all cancers. And you've heard of the, you know, everyone's heard of the BRCA gene for breast cancer. And even that, if you inherit that, it doesn't have what they call a hundred percent penetrance, meaning if you inherit that mutation, you're not a hundred percent sure you're going to get the disease. I think it has 85% penetrance, which is remarkably high for a, for cancer. So, um, you know, it's not a death sentence, even if you do get, inherit some of these faulty genes, but it's, it's really the minority. The, the genetic, inherited genetic cause of cancer is only a small minority of cancers. The vast majority occur spontaneously, and, and the exact reasons why they occur, again, are co- go back to that debate. So, uh, I mean, some people, I, I believe this Angelina Jolie brought this um, into popularity where she had surgery because she had the gene that could lead to cancer. But if you're saying it's 5 to 7% of cancers are genetic, did that change her her chances of getting cancer at all? Oh, tremendously, yeah. It, the, the BRCA gene, if you inherit it, I believe the chance of you getting breast or ovarian goes up to 85%. And so if you're proactive and do what Angelina did, it greatly diminishes the chance that you're going to acquire those cancers, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, that's obviously a call every individual has to make. But statistically, you know, to avoid what she had, that's the right answer. But, you know, again, her inheriting that gene is the very minor as a very minority of all cancers it's again it falls into that five to seven percent right so so there's then of course all the other causes of cancer and do we understand what that is yeah right so the overt causes of cancer we do have a good understanding of what they are and the carcinogen list it's posted on the the national website you know i think it's 200 well over 200 and counting so we've we've changed our world tremendously through, you know, since the industrial revolution came and we've carcinogens are everywhere there. They, in the seventies, we didn't even have an idea how bad some of our consumer products were. For example, kids pajamas were just soaked in these screamingly carcinogenic, carcinogenic compounds that were supposed to be anti-inflammatory hair products were, were soaked with screamingly carcinogenic compounds. So it's, we've really, made our world a lot more, you know, filled with these cancer-causing agents. And the other things, you know, are, are we all know, it's cigarette smoke, um, things like that, chronic sun exposure. So we do have a, a good idea of the sort of overt causes of cancer and what to avoid. So, you know, I've, I've done shows on, on, you know, the toxicity in our environment, and we've, we're focusing more on, um, you know, chemical sensitivities and, um, you know, sometimes talking about the, um, the cancer-causing effects of it. But I, I think it's pretty scary what we've done with our world, you know, when we know that there's 88,000 unregulated chemicals in our homes and women are exposed to over 500 just getting ready in the morning. Yeah, exactly. And we're just starting to really understand the consequences of this. And I'm working on a book on epigenetics right now. And and these toxins, they work our way, you know, into our moms, into the fetuses uh, when they're pregnant, and it can have profound epigenetic consequences later on. And those can actually even be inherited by down the chain. So we are just getting a good grasp of how, you know, pervasive these things are. Um, so what what are um, you know that this is a that's a passionate topic for me um, you know the carcinogen list but with with cancer are there any other known causes or theories of um, why cancer is being caused because I from your book I understand that's not the only thing causing cancer. Yeah, the book centers on the mitochondrial, the, the metabolic theory of cancer, which states that that cancer erupts from mitochondrial damage that it's a problem of of energy generation. And so, and that's what sort of confounded researchers throughout the century when you look at the history is the things that damage mitochondria also damage nuclear DNA. So carcinogens, um, radiation is a big driver of cancer. It damages both nuclear DNA and mitochondria. And the other things are viruses. Viruses tend to concentrate their pathology in mitochondria. So they, they really, you know, can be a metabolic cause of this disease um and we're just getting a hand you know of course a handle on all the viruses that have such a tremendous impact um so 
when we're talking about the the metabolic part, um, what are mitochondria? Mitochondria are the little cellular organelles within every cell. There's about a thousand per cell that generate energy. So you generate about 90% of your cellular energy in your mitochondria, and and you do it doing something called respiration, which is the creation of energy with oxygen. And so the mitochondrial theory of cancer contends that once you reach this threshold level of mitochondrial damage within a cell, the cell has to revert to the sort of antiquated method of energy generation, which is called fermentation. And we all, we're familiar with fermentation. It's what happens when you sprint or lift weights and when you generate large amount of lactic acid, that's fermentation. You use blood glucose to generate energy down a very inefficient pathway and then you have a toxic byproduct, which is lactic acid. So when you look at a cancer cell, almost ubiquitously, they've reverted to that sort of energy generation. And even in the presence of oxygen, they're generating tremendous amounts of lactic acid. So they're sort of bypassing the mitochondria. So that's really the crux of mitochondria theory, that once you have a threshold mitochondrial damage, the cell reverts to this, this method of energy generation. And the mitochondria send this epigenetic signal to the nuclear DNA which instructs it, instructs it to, uh, to, to encode all the proteins that, that drive all the hallmark features of cancer. So then you see the pathological cell growth and all the things that we know the cancer cell does. So do we understand what's triggering this? Well, yeah, the, yeah, the same, this goes back again to the same, uh, you know, the car, carcinogens, and this is what, tricked researchers throughout the century is you could look at how a carcinogen acts and it, it they they almost always damage uh mitochondria and so what happens is when once you get the mitoc- uh, uh, the generation of sufficient energy is required to maintain to keep to maintain nuclear integrity to repair dna so once the cell can't generate enough energy it's unable to repair its DNA. So the mutations that we see in the cancer cell that we always thought were the cause, according to the mitochondrial theory, appear to be a side effect of the disease. So that that's, you know, goes back again to all the same things that we know cause cancer really do damage our mitochondria. Okay, so um, when we're just looking overall at cancer, so, um, you know, talking about this theory and everything, but... Um, one thing I found shocking in your book is I don't think I realized how likely, uh, how high of a chance that we all had to get cancer. You know, yeah, I think it was like one in every two men can can get cancer in their lifetime. That's right. I believe it's the statistic now is forty percent um, of all of us, men and women, will be diagnosed with cancer at some point during their lifetimes, and of course, more men than women are diagnosed. And then of those 40% um, diagnosed, another 40% will die from the disease. And so I think in the U.S. that equates to, in 2016, almost uh, 1.7 million diagnoses. And then that resulted in about, I think, 600,000 deaths. And so the, the, the most important statistic to focus in all that is, you know, the death rates, because that tells us how well we're doing in the war on cancer. And... On the NCI's website, they'll show a steady decline in cancer death rates. But when you look at the statistics, you know, depending on how you look at the statistics, you can interpret them in, a, in a, f- a few different ways. And if you read the book, The Truth in Small Doses by Clifton Leaf, he does a really good job of parsing through these statistics. And his conclusion is the cancer death rates really have not changed much since the 1950s. Um, you know, that... That's pretty um, scary, actually, because we've made all these breakthroughs with other things, and cancer hasn't changed at all. Yeah, it just goes to show that our focus is 100% wrong. I wouldn't say 100%, but it's misguided in that we focus on treating the disease after it's acquired. And it's been a, you know, we, we have made strides in certain subsets of cancer, but overall it's been sort of a losing battle. I, the majority of people's opinions now is the war on cancer has been a dismal failure. And the, the, what we should be focusing on clearly is prevention because that's where you can make the biggest impact. 
well, it sounds like it. I mean, if we have a 40 to 50 percent chance of contracting cancer, I, th- I think we all need to make these steps for prevention so that we just don't get it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, we are going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Travis Christofferson. He's the author of Tripping Over the Truth, How the Metabolic Theory of Cancer is Overturning One of Medicine's Most Entrenched Paradigms. We'll be back shortly. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. They say you can't change the weather, but we already have. And if we've changed it for the worse, let's change it for the better. Tune in to The Climate Opportunity, a two-hour special hosted by Beth Green and Dr. Grant Dean. Expert guests, Professor Scott Denning, Chef Laura Steck, video journalist Peter Sinclair, and Kelsey Wirth of Women Out Front will share how we can improve our lives while improving our weather. Listen on Inside Out Radio, Tuesday, November 11th, starting at 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Presented by Inside Out Radio and Voice America. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Travis Christofferson. He's the author of Tripping Over the Truth, How the Metabolic Theory of Cancer is Overturning One of Medicine's Most Entrenched Paradigms. So, Travis, before the break, you mentioned the war on cancer. Uh, What is that? Well, the way we traditionally know the war on cancer was the National Cancer Act, which was signed into existence, I believe, on Christmas Day in 1971 by Richard Nixon. And it was kind of an interesting time period because we had just landed on the moon. Um, when you watch the video, you know, you can kind of detect the hubris in everybody that they, they genuinely believed we would have cancer solved within a short period. And it was, this was on the heels of lots of um, big breakthroughs in medicine. We, and we end in cancer. We had just fought, fell certain forms of childhood leukemia, testicular cancer, um, Hodgkin's disease. So we'd had some pretty profound successes using just a handful of systemic toxins, the traditional chemotherapy that we know, and, of course, surgery and radiation. So, the, the, you know, the, the general tone at the time is that we'd have this disease figured out and cured within, you know, 
if not five years to a little after that time. And the metaphor that Dominic D'Agostino kind of used when he wrote, just wrote the foreword for my, uh, the ber- version of the book was that Ted Kennedy was in the background when Nixon signed this. And, and then if you fast forward 40 years, of course, you know, we, he got brain cancer. And the same treatment paradigm that was available to him back then, more or less, was available for him today. And they were not, not able to appreciably extend life beyond where it was 40 years ago. And that's kind of a metaphor for how the war of cancer really has gone. Well, it is a little distressing. I mean, you, you told me before the break that, that the statistics on cancer haven't changed much since ni- the 1950s, and we're almost 70 years later, and we're doing the same things, and we're getting the same results, and there has been no change, even though there's a tremendous amount of, of studies and research and awareness about cancer. Yeah. Yeah, and it, um, just, it goes to the, you know, if you follow the science... You'll see what, ha- what what clearly happened was in the 70s we had just, a, like I said, this handful of systemic toxins, the, the cytotoxic chemotherapy. And we with the NCI pushed and pushed and pushed, and they thought that these would be able to, if you pushed hard enough, you'd be able to fall the, the very tough cancers, the solid tumors that account for most of the deaths. And we just hit a brick wall. They just were unable to move cancer death rates past that. And the, the statistic now, if you look at, Chemotherapy as an adjunctive therapy um, only confers 2.9% increase in survival. So it doesn't do a whole lot. But then we transitioned in in the the mid-70s to the era of targeted therapy. We thought we understood the exact details of what was causing cancer, these key um, mutations to, to genes. And so we transitioned to this era of targeted therapy. And again, researchers thought we'd have this figured out, you know, in roughly a decade's time. And we've been at this for a hell of a long time, and and the targeted therapy, again, has been abysmal failure. It just has not touched cancer death rates. And if you look at the science, you know, now I think the the reason why this is, we understand, is because we're not targeting the true source of the disease. So let, let's just talk a little bit about what chemotherapy is. I found the history of that quite fascinating. Um, and, you know, you're calling it a toxin. And I think that part is interesting that, you know, people that are, are that ill being exposed to what they are exposed to. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah chemotherapy, kind of ironically, was, was first identified out of a, in World War II. It was a war gas. And there was this kind of, there was this horrific accident in Italy, in a harbor in Italy, where the Germans bombed the Allies. The Allies thought that it was us in Italy, the Italians. We thought that the the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, was stretched way too thin to attack. And they did. They attacked, and they dropped bombs on all these ships in the harbor that were just sitting ducks. And one of them, uh, the, the the U.S. Harvey, I think it was, was stockpiled with tons and tons of mustard gas. And so it released all this mustard gas uh, onto the troops. And they, the U.S. flew in doctors to take samples, and they brought these samples back. And I think it, it was responsible for a 1,000 military and civilian deaths, this release of that mustard gas. So they brought these samples back, and what they noticed was there was this sharp depletion of lymphoid tissue. So the lymph, the, lymph, the, the immune system was unable to generate white blood cells. And, of course, these doctors made this connection to, well, that's what lymphoma is, is the overproduction of white blood cells, perhaps this mustard gas could be a chemotherapy. And researchers were desperate for chemotherapy at that time. All they had for the longest time was, was surgery and radiation. So they wanted this third line of treatment that they could take the fight to cancer anywhere within the body. So that was our first development of, of um, chemotherapy. And, and we achieved these sort of flickering remissions in, in leukemia patients. But then it was off to the races to find other toxins. And the only, you know, all we knew about the cancer cell at that time was it was dividing. So we just look for toxins that would inhibit cellular division. And, of course, they're terribly, you know, toxic because they inhibit cellular division throughout our bodies, and that's how we regenerate. That's how we grow hair. That's how we grow our gut lining. And that's why, of course, chemotherapy patients lose their hair and have such tremendous nausea. Um, but, yeah, there's no, there's no denying that these are systemic toxins. And it, it's truly, you know, we'll look back on this as a, as a medieval period of treatment without a doubt. 
Well, it, it, it seems terrifying to me that it, it's stopping the person's body growth as well. Like I'm, I'm wondering, you know, from a, the perspective of a health practitioner, how that's keeping this patient healthy when they're in this fight for their life. Yeah. And, and again, it, you have to take every individual case of cancer differently because chemotherapy is, is absolutely remarkable for uh, for example, for testicular cancer, it's a 90-some percent cure rate. So when you look individually for cancers, there are some that respond extraordinarily well to chemo. But again, of course, the patients have these side effects. It would be be wonderful if we could present better options to them. But then as you go down the line for, for certain forms of brain cancer, you know, the rest of the very difficult cancers, lung cancers and so forth, if you look at the statistics as adjunctive therapies, chemotherapy doesn't confer much in the, uh, you know, as, as far as survival goes, but we still put patients through this all the time. So when, after people go through chemotherapy, um, is there a chance, even if the cancer is in remission, is there a chance that it's going to come back? Yeah, well, yeah, there's, yeah, there's always that chance. And they looked at you know, even the cancers they were able to cure, the childhood leukemias and so forth, when you look back through the statistics, the meta-analysis of the patients that were cured, they have much, much higher rates of acquiring different types of cancers throughout their lives. So you don't necessarily walk away unscathed, you know, if you, when you go through that process. And so do, do we understand why we have a higher chance of, of them developing more cancer? Is that because of, um, you know, with the metabolic theory that there's something going on in their body? Or is it, do we know what's, why that is? You know, I, I would be reluctant to say exactly why. I, I, you know, clearly just the exposure to that amount of it and, and Ironically, chemotherapy agents are extremely carcinogenic. So just that robust exposure to that amount of a carcinogen over time um, just is enough to plant the seeds, you know, for future development of cancers. Yeah, yeah, I can see that if there's a if carcinogens are causing cancer and the, the treatment is carcinogenic. But like you said, it should be an individual decision according to the type of cancer and whether it's effective. Um, now, is there a correlation? Because you talked in your book about shrinking a tumor. Um, does that extend the person's life? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, that's right. The <laughs> FDA used that criteria to get drugs approved. It just had to shrink a tumor without necessarily even having it confer to um, increase survival, which, of course, is absurd. Um, there is a correlation. You know, if you can shrink a tumor, typically you, you'll get an increase in survival. But there's examples of drugs that will shrink tumors or even just change their morphology, just like kind of blow the tumors apart. And it looks like they're having this anti-cancer effect, but then you look at the survival and there's, um, you know, extremely marginal increase or no increase in survival at all. So it's a bad, in, in general, that can be a, you know, a bad sort of uh, indicator of a, the utility of a chemotherapy agent. So, you know, when we're looking at um, treatments for cancer, there's chemotherapy is and the radiation that, that we all know, and, of course, removing the tumor. Is there anything else that, um, you know, any other drugs or anything that can help? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And there's getting to be more and more options for, for people. And you have to find oncologists that are, bold and smart and willing to do things and are not just shutting their eyes and, and delivering out standard of care because there are there are so many good options out there now for people um i i would direct them towards one one exciting area is called repurposed drugs there's a list of about 80 drugs that um have off-target anti-cancer effects meaning their original intended target was not that but they do have anti-cancer effects they're already FDA approved. We know their toxicity profile. Many of these are non-toxic or very low toxic. And so a lot of oncologists are recommending, you know, using a sort of cocktail of these repurposed drugs alongside standard of care. And the purpose is to sort of, you know, 
boosts the output of standard of care. And, and there's a lot of evidence, you know, not our, our typical burden of proof evidence is a phase three randomized trial, but there's a lot of other preclinical and phase one type evidence suggesting this is working. So there's clinics doing that. One of them is called CARE, which is based in London, um, CARE Oncology Clinic based in London. Another thing is just using metabolic therapies. And I, I would look at a, a uh, clinic called Chemothermia in Istanbul, Turkey, a very young oncologist um, that kind of searched around. He found my book and Dr. Seyfried's work, and he's implementing these metabolic therapies, ketogenic diet, fasting before chemotherapy, glycolytic inhibitors, hyperbaric oxygen, again, alongside standard of care because these guys have to use standard of care or they get in trouble. And, but they can use the very lowest on the dose range of chemotherapy, which he is doing. And he's got metadata showing that he's able to boost um, the survival in lung cancer by about 400% when you add these metabolic protocols on. In addition, they seem to uh, help people go through chemotherapy with less side effects. For a variety of reasons, so yeah, there are. There's getting to be a lot of options for people out there now. Well, and it, it sounds like we need those changes if we haven't had a change in in the outcome of cancer in and uh, you know seventy years. Um, something's got to got to shift. Something's got to give. Need them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we're going back to the metabolic theory of cancer, and we talked about the injured mitochondria, um, what what exactly, like, um, are there a lot of studies to show this? I guess we can talk about that. Lot, yeah, lots. And, and that was kind of the, you know, the narrative in my book. These studies go all the way back to 1924 with the, the German scientist Otto Warburg, who was a Nobel Prize winning scientist, brilliant biochemist. And he was the first to notice this, what is now called the Warburg effect, the fact that cancer cells have uh, this metabolic abnormality and are, are burning sugar and generating lactic acid. And then the question was why, and then later in Warburg's career, about the 50s, he contended the reason why was, was because of damage to mitochondria. But then the work sort of died off there um, as DNA was discovered and the focus shifted to the genetics of the cancer cell. But behind the scenes, there was all this data being collected about Warburg's original theory, but it was kind of shoved to the side. Nobody took it very seriously. Um, but then again, it was brought back into light after the Cancer Genome Atlas Project has shown that somatic mutations cannot be the only cause. There has to be other driving factors to this disease. So Warburg's original metabolic theory has kind of made this striking comeback. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about this more when we get back. Today, we're talking with Travis Christofferson. He's the author of Tripping Over the Truth, How the Metabolic Theory of Cancer is Overturning One of Medicine's Most Entrenched Paradigms. We'll be back shortly. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Travis Christofferson. He's the author of Tripping Over the Truth, How the Metabolic Theory of Cancer is Overturning One of Medicine's Most Entrenched Paradigms. So, Travis, we've talked a lot about the um, metabolic theory of cancer. And, of course, you, you've mentioned the, 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 keto, the ketogenic diet. Can you just tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so look, Tom Seyfried is sort of one of the scientists responsible for resurrecting Warburg's old theory about the metabolic theory of cancer. And he wrote this, this science book called uh, Cancer is a Metabolic Disease. I think it came out in 2012. And goes through you know, the, the 100 years of evidence that support this theory that cancer has a metabolic origin. And then he touched, touched on some of the potential interventions based on the metabolic theory. And one of them came that came to light was this what's called a ketogenic diet and the ketogenic diet has actually been around since the 1920s and was once actually standard of care for pediatric epilepsy so it's a well-known sort of medical intervention type diet and what it is is you you transition away from carbohydrate metabolism towards fat metabolism and it's sort of a mimicking it's a dietary mimicking of the fasting state so you'll, you cut out almost all of your carbohydrates. It's traditionally done in a four-to-one ratio, four parts fat to one part protein and carbohydrate. And when you transition that, that way, you'll burn through all your uh, sugar stores in your liver, and that takes about 24 hours. And then your body has to burn fat. So you'll, you'll generate these molecules called ketone bodies. That's why it's called the ketogenic diet. And the ketone bodies will replace glucose as a circulating source of fuel. And the interesting thing about ketone bodies is they can only be burned in functioning mitochondria. They have to be burned oxidatively with oxygen. And so Seyfried made that connection. Well, if the cancer cell has to burn sugar or prefers to burn sugar and has trouble burning, you know, generating energy oxidatively, this dietary transition would put stress on the cancer cell. And there's a lot of you know, preclinical evidence that suggests that's exactly the case. And so what we're kind of understanding now, I think there's about 10 to 12 trials in recruiting right now for the ketogenic diet in the United States, testing it as a cancer therapy. But in general, what we've kind of noticed is its greatest utility appears to be that it can just greatly enhance the efficacy of other treatments. So Tom Seyfried has generated this idea called the press-pulse scenario, where the dietary intervention is the press that cancer patients can use. And then when you add in these pulses, and it can even be low-dose chemotherapy, you'll just get much, much improved efficacy. And we're starting to, that's what we saw in the Turkish data, is that we do see you know, this greatly enhanced efficacy of traditional treatments 
when patients are in this ketogenic state. Um, so uh, one thing that you also talk about is calorie restriction along with fasting. Um, how does that help? Yeah, so the ketogenic diet is, is again, just the maintenance of the fasting state. And what happens when you fast, again, you'll burn through all your carbohydrate stores, and so you'll have to turn to fat to, to survive. And the body will start burning visceral, you know, fat, adipose tissue, and generating these ketone bodies to survive. And it's a remarkably uh, efficient mode of energy generation. Ketone bodies have about two times the thermodynamic energy as a molecule of sugar. So that's why human beings can survive so long. An average person can survive about a month um, without food, just water. And I think the record fast was a an obese guy in Scotland. I think he weighed, when he began to fast, was well over 300 pounds, and he fasted for over a year. So that it's the maintenance of the fasting state. And when, the, when, you do, when you're in this state, it's not just energy reduction for the cancer cell. We're also, researchers are finding out that there's all these sort of epigenetic transitions going on that downregulate all the important oncogenes that are driving cancer. So there's much, much more to it beyond just this kind of energy restriction that Seyfried originally noticed. There's, there's much, you know, we see, we see a, a slowing of the growth of cancer and it just all the features, the hallmark features of cancer cells seem to be to tamper down because through this diet. Um, well, you know, I, I always find um, that part fascinating. I did a, a show um, on fasting, and we were talking about type 2 diabetes. Uh, but obviously, the the fasting and calorie restriction does more for us than just prevent um, or reverse diabetes. Right. And, and that's that. this next level that we're learning is, is uh, diabetes, you know, it, it's such a complex disease, but... Epigenetically, we see there's actually a downregulation of um, insulin expression in type 2 diabetes um, and, of course, insulin sensitivity, and you have to ask why that's occurring. And when you look at the epigenetic marks, you can see that they've changed in a type 2 diabetic. And so the ketogenic diet um, you know, clearly shifts away from carbohydrate metabolism, which is a problem of a type 2 diabetic, but it's also... They're, they're epigenetic ketone bodies are epigenetic modulators, so they're changing our epigenetic expression, um, and you know greatly. Uh, type two diabetes is, is vastly improved. I, I haven't seen anybody that hasn't been improved on the ketogenic diet, or or by fasting, which is the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that that was the the big part of this show. He was a nephrologist, um, Jason Fung, in Toronto, and and uh, he reversed type two diabetes and got people off their medication with doing intermittent fasting, and changing out some other things as well. Obviously, but that was the biggest part was the calorie restriction. Powerful tool, yeah, very yeah. powerful tool. We're just understanding exactly why. So. Um, it's interesting, of course, we're looking at cancer as a metabolic disease. <laughs> and uh, um, so we're, you know, the title of your book is um, changing this, the, this paradigm of how we view cancer. And this is, it, it definitely does change how you view it. Um, you know, when we're thinking, oh, it's genetic, so I can't do anything about it. Um, you know, that, that kind of also leaves it a little more scary for people as well, because we know we have a 40% chance of getting cancer and then we can't do anything about it and it's chaotic and uncontrollable. Um, I like, I like this idea and I, you know, reading all the studies in your book and the stories, it just, it made more sense to me that this is something that we can prevent and we have more control over. Yeah. And that, that's the take home message. You're right. Is that, that paradigm shift from a disease that's, that's randomly occurring to one that's, um, you know, potentially preventable and you have all kinds of control in the treatment aspect of it for sure. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I found interesting, and you touched on this as well, was a, a story of um, someone doing the, the ketogenic diet along with their chemo, and I think it was a few people, and they, they didn't have um, the horrible side effects that other people were getting from the, from the treatment. Yeah, that's a study from Walter Longo, UCLA, and he actually, the study he did was actually fasting. He had patients fast before chemotherapy for 48 to, I think, 90-some hours. 
and uh, you know, which is the quickest way to enter what we call ketosis, generating ketone bodies. And um, when he did that with patients, he measured their side effects from chemotherapy. And I think he measured 14 different side effects, and every single one of the side effects was very significantly diminished, including the ones you can measure, the number of times you vomit, you know, diarrhea, uh, mouth sores, and so forth. And the vomiting went from, I don't know the number of times the people that didn't fast vomited, but the ones that did fast, it went down to zero. So it's a very, and, and you know, you, we don't have time to get into the, the biochemical reasons why this is occurring, but there's very good, you know, very elegant uh, science behind why this is occurring. And the, the fact we can see it occur is, is even more compelling. Um, well, it, it, it seems to me also to, to give a little bit of hope because if you're, um, you know, going through treatment, you have a little more control over what's going to happen to you and it, it's the opposite of what is recommended when people go through these treatments you know um, having watched a family member um, go through cancer and and succumb to it um, you know she was told oh eat ice cream and and eat you know anything that yeah. was basically you wouldn't want to be eating on a ketogenic diet and and I'm wondering with that if we know fasting and and this diet can help with those side effects would doing the opposite make it worse i would say yes and and i you know i number one um we can see that in the epidemiological data that a high sugar diet correlates with um more cancer type 2 diabetes correlates with more cancer um so yeah i mean you can see it just in the epidemiological data and and just Knowing the basic biology behind the cancer cell, when an oncologist looks at a PET scan, that's what they're looking at. They're looking at cancer cells' voracious appetite for sugar. That's why the image lights up. Um, so it, just based on that alone, the fact that you recommend Jello or ice cream, it, it just seems crazy. Um, yeah, I, I agree because you know you talk in your your book about yeah the cancer is feeding off of sugar and here we are going through chemo and eating whatever we want and sugar and and feeding the cancer even more and making it it worse. Right, and not even to mention the fact that that cancer cells have sixteen times the number of uh, insulin receptors as normal cells, so they're absolutely primed to uh, respond to that sugar intake insulin response they that's how they derive their energy and their materials for cell division that's pretty crazy um so if somebody's listening and they're wondering um how to get started um just as even prevention um how uh, would you recommend that they go about doing so as far as prevention goes you know one of the things safe and and you've touched on that he recommends is um Intermittent fasting is a way to stimulate this process called autophagy, and that's sort of the cellular cleaning house mechanism. It gets rid of all the defunct proteins, and it can even get rid of defunct mitochondria. So that's a wonderful sort of preventative regeneration tool that we have. Um, Beyond that, you know, the, the advice that your grandma gave you still holds. You just avoid chemicals, get sunshine, eat well, and I think one of the you know general tenets that we're really realizing now is just that you got to avoid avoid sugar, and we see that in the NIH life extension caloric restriction uh, studies with monkeys. There was two studies, and the the ones with the higher sugar diet did the did the worst. So that as a general rule holds um, as far as prevention goes. And then as far as you know, if you are diagnosed, there's there's so many more options now. And the internet to fasting uh, is a great tool. It can also be a, um, you know, there's bad stuff in the internet, so you have to sort through it in a good way. But those two things I mentioned to you are good places to start. Uh, yeah, I, there, there's a lot of a lot of good options nowadays. Well, you know, just looking at the sugar part, and and I've talked about sugar a lot on this show, but I, I don't think we can ever talk about it enough. You know the. Um, when I counsel people to go off of sugar, um, they co- they think it'll be easy, and then they come back and they had started reading labels, and they're they're baffled and realize how how, how difficult it is to actually avoid sugar and added sugar in what they're eating. It, yeah, it's it's, and then you just 
you know, you fall back to the advice of just eat real food. Just eat food that you know what it is and it's not in a box. <laughs> and then you can know the sugar content. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, if we're, if we're if we're so confused that we're, and we're eating that much packaged food, there's probably going to be some, some other issues with the food that we're eating. And uh, we should go back to the leafy greens and whole grains and, and you know, the, the healthy proteins. Yeah. And, yep. of course, the fats. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Of course, the fats. Yeah. <laughs> Can't forget that. Hey? <laughs> so um, I, I just want to talk a little bit more about the, the ketogenic diet because I know wh- when I read it, it is all, it's a lot of its fats as well. Um, so, um, and, of course, I grew up in an era that was low fat. So what does that mean to be on a, a diet that, that focuses on fats? You know, well, when you when you talk about the ketogenic diet too, the way I'm talking about it is is a medical intervention. So you can everybody else can have the debate about, and there you know the ongoing debate about whether the ketogenic diet is a great thing to maintain over your life or periodically throughout your life. Some people say it, you know, it is, and and they perform and feel so much better doing it. But as a medical intervention, I'm talking about it, you know, for cancer therapy. And if you want to take all the guesswork out of it, there's companies now that will make prepackaged ketogenic meals for cancer patients so they don't have to learn what this diet is, you know, right post-diagnosis. Um, it's just what you want to do is, is maintain, you'll drop your blood glucose on this diet and you'll raise ketones, and then you'll get into what they call this therapeutic window for, for cancer um, therapy. So that's what we're going out after this. And the uh, you can pro- I can probably send you the links to some of those companies um, doing the, the prepackaged diets. Yeah, I think um, one place people, a good place for people to start is by reading your book to understand what we're talking about. Um, can you just tell us where people can find that? Uh, yeah, the book is, you know, various, various little boutique bookstores and it's on Amazon. And that's the easiest place to get it's just right off Amazon. Perfect. And do you have a website or a way people can contact you for more information? Yeah, you can contact me through the my the foundation website, which is a single cause, single cure. And it's a, just a small cancer foundation that um, 100% of the money goes to uh, cancer metabolic cancer research. Well, that's perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really informative episode. Yeah, thank you, Rebecca. And I want to thank everybody for listening. We were talking today with Travis Christofferson. He's the author of Tripping Over the Truth, How the Metabolic Theory of Cancer is Overturning One of Medicine's Most Entrenched Paradigms. So thanks so much for listening and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.